Hello, Saltines. It's Mike. I'm back. I missed you all last week terribly. Um, but as you might be able to hear from my voice, I think I've, I've contracted a little bit of a cold, which really irritates me because I just got my flu and my COVID vaccines. And I'm like, so of course, if I, I were still going to get sick, it would be a cold, right? Um, that's okay. Tis the season, right? Um, anyway, I'm I'm back. Uh, you, of course, have noticed by now that um, Austin is, is not present. Um, he has not been re-abducted. He's just uh, also dealing with the symptoms of a cold. We share those things. We we work together. We live together. Um, we walk alike. We talk alike. And uh, yeah, and sometimes we also share each other's germs. So um, yeah, so he's homesick today, unfortunately. And um, this music just got really, really loud. Um, I'm going to go turn the music down. One sec. Be right back. Okay, I keep kicking the table. I apologize. Oh, one of these days we will um we'll get our shit together on this podcast, and um everything won't look so amateur. Although I I will say I've always had an appreciation for very uh gorilla kinds of approaches to things. That's G U E R I L L A gorilla like gorilla like um you know just kind of just doing things as you are able you know and not really worrying about how clean or how, how well, how finely edited something is. I, I, there's a part of me that kind of enjoys that, which is odd because I'm such a planner and organizer. Anyway, um, I'm back today and I thought I'd share another spooky story. Um, this is, you know, still kind of the time of year, right? This episode will come out uh, tomorrow, I believe on YouTube. And then uh, the following day on Spotify and our other streaming services. Um, but I, I thought, you know, since we're we're kind of now, you know, down to the wire, I mean, Halloween's like, you know, like a week away now, you know, um, it's 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 the time, right? It's the time. Not that there's really, ne there's never really a bad time for for spooky, for ghost stories, right, or scary stories, right? Um, I don't know. So today, I thought I, I'd talk a little bit about um, a house that my family lived in when I was very very young, and um, you know, and. Bear in mind the details I have of these experiences. These are not firsthand experiences. These are stories that have been shared and told again and again and again by uh, older members of my family, my mother, uh, older siblings, you know, a few other people over the years, right? Um, and all of them had these experiences. And in discussing these with them all individually, um, it it became clear really quickly that um like th th there were just there were just too many things that overlapped. I mean, obviously these were these were definitely legitimate experiences these people were having, um you know separately, but but everything also kind of like lined up in odd ways, right? I I you know I'm a witch and an occultist, and I uh, still even with all the experiences I have, I I always tend to skew towards the side of skepticism when it comes to supernatural experience. I just think that. That's better. Um, it, it has helped me out quite a bit. And I would encourage all of you to do the same, right? You can believe in something and I think can still also retain a degree of skepticism, right? Um, so when I was actually, my family moved into this home. My mother, my father, and my two elder sisters moved into this home, um, I think just shortly before my birth. And from from the, the first few days they moved into this house, shit had already started to happen um we we found out i guess uh later on 
through a little bit of spiritual work and I think just through conversation with some neighbors, I, I believe is it was it it became clear, it was revealed to my mother that the prior owner of that house, who was an older gentleman, um, he had died in that house. And um and I to, at the moment, I don't think that we ever really even got his name or over the years his actual name has been forgotten. But over the years we've always called him George. And the name George actually came um from me. Um, when we were living in that house, you know, the first couple of years I was born in that house. And my mother tells me that I was a fairly intelligent and, and kind of precocious child. So by the time I was, I think like around two-ish years of age, I was already really communicating and of course seeing and interacting with spirits, um, because psychic kids are are very, very much a real thing. Um, you know, and my mother was always, you know, she's a witch. She's also got really strong psychic ability. So in having these experiences as a child, like it was never weird. It was never seen as one of these like, oh, this is scary. This is weird. You shouldn't do this. This is bad kinds of situations in my family. So um, so we're living there. And my mother finds out through interaction with me uh, because I'm I'm we're in this house and I have my room, right? Like my mother had set up a, a baby room and nursery for me, you know, and I'm in there. And apparently uh george this spirit of this elderly man that had lived there prior um would come into my room at night and there was and this is right out of like textbook like scary movie kinds of story here right um but uh there were apparently there was a rocking chair in my room and uh as the story has been told to me again and again over the years um by a, a few people in my family um that rocking chair at night uh you would walk past my room down the hall and the, my bedroom door would be open. And as you walked past the room, the rocking chair would be rocking in that room. The rocking chair next to my crib would be moving as if someone were sitting there rocking. And of course, there's no one in the chair, right? Um, I remember having an interaction one day with my mother after she had an experience with my elder sisters. When we moved into this house, um, this was a bigger house for my family. Prior to this, my, my mother and my sisters had been trying to kind of make life work in this, this squishy little house. Um, you know, and so they finally moved into a space where they everybody was going to have their their own room, their own space. Sorry, something weird happening out the window here. Um, and everybody was really excited, like, "Oh, I want my own room!" Right? You know. So anyway, so the the my my elder sisters were supposed to live in in the, the basement of the house. There were there were you know a finished basement, bedrooms down there, right? Um, and they were really excited. They were each going to have their own room. Within I think a week of moving into that house, my sisters had moved everything into one room. And my mother thought this was really odd because they were so excited about having their own space, right? So she asked them point blank. She's like, uh, you know, what's up? And they related an experience. They had told her that while in the basement, they had had some interactions, including visual, like physical sightings of this, this little, little kind of like hunched over a little old man in the basement who was there one minute and gone the next. Um, and my mother tells me stories, actually, like when when they were uh, explaining this, my sisters were explaining this to my mother, they were telling her this. And my mother was like, I, she also within the first week of being in the house, I believe she'd been downstairs and she had been doing some laundry and she turned around and from where she was standing, she could see the, uh, the stairs moving from the basement up to the main floor of the home. And she sees this little old man walking up the stairs. Um, anyway. So, so everybody in the house has had these experiences, right? But of course, no one's really, you know, no one's talking to me, right? I'm a two-year-old. What, you know, what are they going to do? They're not going to bring these to me, right? Um, so, but I, I remember having an interaction with my mother once and telling her that at night, like that, that there was there was a, a little man, there was a little man in the house, you know. Um, 
And uh, and she asked him, she said, well, you know, who, who is he? You know, has he talked with you? And I told her, yes, he told me he's nice and his and his name is George. Um, and so that kind of became the name for this spirit. Um, the, the reason that I wanted to talk about this experience is because it it has, again, some of those very textbook haunting kinds of phenomena. Right. Like, you know, seeing spirits in the basement. Um, you know, teenagers freaked out because, you know, and, and, and wanting to all sleep in one room because there's a ghost in the house, right? Just just odd sightings, you know, rocking chairs moving by themselves in the dead of night, you know, weird how uh noises in the house. Um, I remember my sisters at the time, I believe, uh, were both like 16, 17 years of age, and um they were dating these boys and they brought one of them, I believe it was, yeah, one of one of my older sisters, she she brought her boyfriend over one night. Um and she, I, I don't know entirely what it was, but there was something about this boy, this young man that my sister was dating and the ghost in the house just did not like this guy. Um, and I think he was trying to give signs of this, but there's the, another story that's told about that house where my uh, sister is there with her boyfriend, you know, and I'm, I'm in bed at this point, you know, it's like, it's, you know, later at night. Right. Um, and my mother was out somewhere, probably working because my mother just had to work so much my my father was a loser and a deadbeat even even when he was around um and so uh anyway so they're they're basically home alone right and you know and they're in the living room and i'm sure teenagers there are some things going on maybe they shouldn't be right and they hear this noise in the kitchen which was i think just like the room over from the living room and um and so they get up and they go into that the kitchen and all of the cabinet doors have opened like everything is just just hanging open um you know and uh Freaked out this guy, girl, uh, elder sister's boyfriend was like, no, 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 I'm out. Um, and I think he was Catholic. I think he was like uber religious. So he was like extra freaked out by this, right? Because boy, you get a superstitious religious person involved in a haunting situation where they just do not know how to handle it. Um, so anyway, so these kinds of experiences, right? And, um, you know, and again, going back to what I was saying a moment ago, the reason I wanted to share this story is this story uh, and personal, like familial experience, um, I think is a good example of how we can have uh, supernatural experiences. We can have even situations like hauntings in our homes. And while there are things that those kinds of ghosts, that ghosts and spirits can do that are um, scary, right? Uh, that doesn't always necessarily mean that those spirits are harmful, or that they are there to cause trouble or, or, or just that, just to hurt anybody. Right. Um, and how often I think it's better for us as the living people in any space to actually try to uh, get along, to to be friendly with, to to make friends with, to, uh, you know, at the very least, you know, like try to be good roommates. Right. Um, you know, and the spirits, hopefully. Right. Because if not, then, you know, then, yeah, maybe you might have recourse to remove a spirit from your home. Right. But but to remember that those spaces were also they are also homes to those spirits. Um, one of the one of the more interesting experiences that happened in that house with this ghost with george um my father shortly after i was born well before i was born but after i was born things seemed to escalate quite a bit my father um well without going into all the details my my father had some serious mental illness he dealt with some i think some very fairly serious mental illness and um and he was uh angry and violent um unfortunately with with my mother, my my siblings and I, um, but my mother got to a point I think, um, and I was still very young, 
at this point. Um, but my father was becoming so out of control with his behavior and just increasingly aggressive and violent. My mother kicked him out of the house. She's like, you got you got to go. We're done. Right. I absolutely not. Um, you know, and so he was out of the house. Um, my mother tells this story, and this is a story that is corroborated by uh, a couple other members of the family. Uh, my mother tells this story about how the ghost in the house never really cared for my father. I think that George, between what I've heard about how he interacted with my father and what I've heard about the experience with my sister's boyfriend and opening all the kitchen cabinets, right? Um, the pantries and all these things, right? Um, I think that the, the George, the little ghost in the house, I don't think he really had much use for other men. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know, right? Maybe he just didn't want other men in his house, right? Like he was the man of the house, right? Um, anyway, we're, it, it's, you know, late at night, one night, right? My father's gone. You know, um, at that point, I think, I, I don't know where my sisters were. I, I don't know if they'd moved out yet or if they, yeah, I, I don't know anyway. But so my my mother, the way that the house is shaped or, or was designed, you come in through the front door and there's immediately a staircase. And if you look up as you move up those stairs, as you kind of get like a third of the way up the stairs, my the, the doorway to my mother's room is there at the top of the stairs, kind of a little hallway right there, but just across from the, the, the top of the landing, right? And so late at night, my mother hears like a crash downstairs, right? Like someone has forced the, the, the front door open, right? And um, and so she, you know, being a mother of teenagers, I'm sure is thinking like, oh God, what have the kids done now, right? You know, and so I think she, she gets up and she, moves closer to her bedroom door and she looks down and she can see my father coming up the stairs and you know and he is in a rage you know and, and again at this point he's been kicked out of the house you know he's he's been told he needs to see a counselor my mother is already going through the process of getting a divorce right um and he's decided that he's he's gonna he's gonna come and he's gonna attack my mother and god knows kill my mother kill me who knows right who knows what he was thinking uh but he's coming up the stairs and uh, my mother is standing there kind of, I think, in one of those moments where, you know, you you can see something bad is happening, but, like, I think, like, the fear hits, you know, you freeze. Sometimes people just freeze, you know. Um, you know, and I'm, and I, I'm, you know, I'm, like, still around two years of age, right? I'm not doing anything, right? You know, um, there's nothing, nothing I can do to help this situation, right? Um, so, anyway, so she's standing there, and he's screaming upstairs, my mother, my father, is, like, you know, and every expletive he can think of, you know, is coming out of his mouth at my mother. And she's watching him coming up the stairs, right? And he gets to about, I think, halfway up the, the staircase and stops in his tracks. Like he's like almost like he's hit a wall. And he flies backward, back down the stairs. And he hits the floor at the bottom of those steps. And he is, and he's had the wind knocked out of him, right? And my mother has used this as an opportunity to like to grab the phone, like she's calling the police, right? Um, and he's screaming at the bottom of the stairs, like, you pushed me, you, you expletive, expletive, you pushed me. You know, and she's on the phone with 911 and she's screaming back, like, I was nowhere near you, you idiot. You know, and my father, um, I think, realized at that point what had happened, that he had and the process of trying to, to attack my mother that he had angered the ghost in the house and this spirit had actually acted in defense of my mother and had knocked my dad's ass back down those stairs and i think that 
freaked my father out because though my father, when he was alive, he's dead now. And I'm going to say, thank God, because he was a garbage human being. Um, but, um, but when my father, I think uh, when he was alive, he always claimed to be an atheist. Um, my father was <laughs> a little side note here. My father was for me always, I think again, a textbook example of what an atheist is, or at least how many atheists, uh, uh, seem to, can be perceived okay and, and I, if there are those of you who see this who were identify as atheists you know please don't get me wrong i'm i'm totally in favor of, of atheism you know like i i know a lot of spiritual practitioners to be honest like uh occultists and things who are, are also atheists and operating very effectively within the spiritual community so it's it's nothing nothing wrong with atheism you know that's not my personal belief but i respect that there are people out there that you know they choose that for themselves and that's okay um but it's been my experience uh, in dealing with many atheists over the years, including my father, that um, they are atheists up until the point that the discussion of spirituality comes up or the discussion of mortality and death comes up. And then the fear really kicks in. Right. And so there's just this part of me that has always kind of gotten a wicked giggle uh, engaging with atheists uh, or people who identify as atheists. Um, like if you're, so confirmed in your belief that this is all there is and your why the fear why the fear right um and the and the the the, the blanket of denial uh around some of these experiences when they occur right um yeah anyway my my, my father i always claimed to be an atheist but i i don't know that i really believe that to be true um yeah just based off the stories and, and recountings of experiences like this um anyway so again back to to the point i was making several moments ago that spirits i think if we work with them if we if we make it clear to them in in cohabitating and living with them that they are still a member of the you know the household you know they don't necessarily have to be family right but um but you know but if you know, they, they, they still potentially have a space if they can get along and interact well with the people who are living there, the living people there, that these spirits often can actually be, uh, I want to say, productive members of the household, right? These are spirits that can, um, even in, and this is a very extreme case, right? I'm not saying that every spirit would, in essence, do this or that would have the power to do this, but, um, but they can do things that can be really helpful. Um, they can do things that can save our lives. Um, you know, and I think to be honest, a lot of the times, many spirits, particularly if they are uh, connected to the home or the land in some sense, I think a lot of the times they're doing that work and we don't even realize it um, because they're not there. You know, they're not seeking the credit, right? They just, they just, they're also just trying to protect their home and, you know, and their peace, whatever, whatever sense of peace they may have as spirits, right? Um, so interesting story. And again, um, another kind of scary or ghost kind of an experience that that I've had. Um, I've had many over the years. Um, another one that comes to mind, um, and I've talked about this a few times um, on the podcast, and I'm going to relate this story because I uh, carefully, because I, I don't need to go into the whole the detail of this, but I was hired many years ago when I was more actively involved in um, different facets of the spiritual community, um, primarily ghost hunting, uh, you know, and these kinds of things. Um, I was hired to go with a group of other mediums. At that point, I was working actively as a medium. I still, I am medium. I, I don't really, I don't really do that work. 
consciously much anymore. Um, I'm I'm one of those unfortunate people whose mediumistic abilities kind of manifest in a more physical way. And I have found over the years that doing that work has um, aged me and has, I think, made some complications to my health. That's okay, right? That, 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 that happens. Um, but at the time, I was hired with a couple of other mediums to go into a space in uh, an area just outside of Salt Lake City. And uh, the purpose for this, for the hiring, was that someone had bought this lot of uh, basically like a, a, what would you call it? A, oh my gosh, a block, block of old buildings, right? Of old industrial buildings. And their idea was to go in and renovate this space and turn what at one point had been this just this very old. And when I say very old, I'm talking probably like these buildings have been around a good century or so. Um, you know, to go in and to renovate these spaces and to turn these into some sort of, I think, retail slash living kind of space uh, for, you know, what was becoming a very gentrified area of this, this little town. Um, so we were brought in because the person who had bought the space was, you know, kind of more within the realm of, you know, like they, they, they were a believer, right? They, they were spiritual in, in some sense. And, um, they hired us to come in and they hired to, to clear this space because the energy of the space just, this was a, just a very oppressive space. And, um, and the reason for that we discovered when we arrived was that for years, those buildings had been sitting there basically derelict. They had been empty, um, for many years and the local, uh, homeless community in just looking for, you know, a, a source of shelter, right. And during the winter months, I'm sure we get kids, we, we get some really scary winters in our area. Uh, people die on the streets here every winter. Um, but um, they had used or had taken to, to using these, these empty buildings as, as, as a living space. Um, so there, there was that going on there, um, homeless, homeless encampments. Um, there also was unfortunately a lot of drug activity in that area. And there were, I believe, um, uh, incidences, police reports, some things of, of people, you know, people who had been found either dealing drugs, doing drugs, or, or even people who had overdosed and died within that space. Um, and all of that energy was there. Um, the reason I wanted to bring this story up and talking about scary kinds of experiences is when we went in this team of spiritualists, when we went in to this space, we found almost immediately because of, I think, years of suffering and trauma, all of the drug use, all of the other criminal activity, sexual assaults and things that had happened within those buildings. Just, I think, the the sense of fear um, and hopelessness and despair that had kind of just saturated, just saturated that space. Within that 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 space there was an entity and i don't know that if it i don't know if it was something that was there to begin with i i believe my my belief is that this was something that was drawn to that space as a result of all of the basically human suffering that happened there but there was an entity in that space that i can would would truly would comfortably identify as a demonic entity um and i mean to be clear, I mean demonic entity really more in the sense of an extremely malicious, a malevolent, and a very harmful parasitic being. I'm not talking about goetic kinds of spirits or demons. While they can sometimes also have a malevolent kind of an energy to them, they are not, uh, by default, they are not evil spirits. Okay, um, There's, a, again, a lot of misunderstanding around those spirits, unfortunately. Um, 
But this was a spirit that I think was there in that space. And it was feeding on the the human suffering and the other really harmful things that had been going on in that space that it was feeding upon that energy. And I also, uh, unfortunately want to say a spirit that I believe had trapped many of the human souls, people who had died within those buildings or within that block space. Um, and we went through this building uh, and we we came upon this spirit and it of course did what they always do. It tried to intimidate and instill fear. Um, and, and it was scary. Absolutely. Um, I had been brought in as a part of the team because of my experience and knowledge of the occult. Um, the other mediums that were there were definitely kind of more within like the light worker new age spectrum of belief. Um, and we got there when we came up from the, across the spirit. Um, I think it was eye opening for one of those other mediums in particular, because in basically facing off with this, this malevolent spirit, um, she, she tried to do the love and light kind of approach, right? It was her belief that if a, a spirit, uh, approaches you in fear and in anger, that all you really need to do is just express and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, basically do your care bear stare, right? Uh, love and light, right? And that'll somehow intimidate and frighten off this spirit, right? Um, the distinction there is that those emotions, those kinds of emotional energies, at the end of all of that, it's still all just energy. Um, human emotion is just energy to the spirits that we often encounter, right? Um, it doesn't matter if it's anger or fear or joy or love, it's energy. Um, and so I think she was uh, surprised in trying that uh, approach, which to be fair, I want to say had worked for her in the past as she had been dealing maybe with other kinds of spirits, human spirits. This was not a human spirit, absolutely not. Um, I think she had found that, that that had worked for her in the past, but love and light was not going to work with this spirit. Um, and I, I think that that's one of the reasons why this experience kind of sticks in my brain because it, it really, um, it re really kind of came down to my personal interaction with this spirit at the end. And I would love to say, I would love to say that we were able to, fully banish that spirit and to clear that space. Uh, but I, to this day, don't really know that we were, um, you know, we had to do uh, quite a bit of work and, and I, and to their credit, I will say the other spiritualist I work with, they, they were able to do that. They, they worked with me once I was able to kind of give them a job or kind of organize the effort a little bit around like, okay, this is what I need you to do. I need you to hold this. I need you to stand here. I need you to say this thing. You know, um, they were on board. They did it. Um, you know, so, so good, good for them, right. They were at least willing to cooperate and work in that capacity. Um, but we, we had, to, we had to go the old school. We had to do the, the, the old school banishing formal occult witchcraft kind of a banishing. Um, and I don't do formal banishings. Like a lot of people hear that and they think, oh, like the ritual of the lesser pentagram. You know, I don't do those things. I'm not a ceremonial magician. My processes are very much within the realm of traditional witchcraft. I, I work very closely with Hecate. Um, and also I, I work as a chaos magician and the processes that I use utilizing clearing spirits are usually going to be kind of a, a mix of all of those things, those components of my personal practice. Um, that's where I have strength. That's what I go, go with. I go with where, what I have strength, right. Um, or where I have strength. So, but we were able to, I think, shift this energy enough in this space that we were able to remove some of the heaviness. Um, we were able to help kind of, uh, 
clear out some of those other lingering spirits that again, I do believe actually have been trapped in that space. Um, the, the primary offender, the malevolent spirit that was there uh, was, it did seem as if it was removed from that space. But in saying that, I also don't know, just, just being completely upfront, um, there there was really no resolution to that. Um, I believe that we removed the spirit, but I don't think that we had the ability with the time and the means that we had. And of course, with the allowance of the business owner, right, the person who, who purchased the property, I don't believe that we had had, uh, we, we had the opportunity to really do anything to permanently remove that spirit from that space. Um, my my belief is that it basically just moved back into that property. Quick pause there. Sorry. Um, I'd like to say that you know we, we have the capability of seamless editing, but uh, much much like the the other technical issues and poor quality of our our, our podcast, we we do not. Um, anyway, um, I was actually Austin swinging by, even though he's Mister Sick Man. He had to run out of the house today to do some grocery shopping and buy coffee. So. Thanks, Austin, but you should be at home in bed. Um, anyway, so yeah, as, as I was wrapping up that story, I don't know that we were able to uh, permanently evict that spirit. Um, and I, you know, to be honest, I'll admit, I, I never really followed up with the person who owned the property on that, primarily because they were really not a personal connection of mine. They were more uh, closely affiliated with one of the other mediums that was there. So if there needed to be any additional follow-up work, I'm I'm sure they probably just contacted the other other medium who was a friend of theirs, but um, and they did open businesses, uh, new, new businesses in that that space. So um, hopefully there hopefully there wasn't any more trouble. Um, anyway, so these things happen. Uh, you know, scary stories. Uh, these kinds of supernatural experiences. We, to be honest, I think that most of us we have these experiences. Maybe not quite like that one, right? Um, you know, we're, you're not, you weren't consciously, you know, in that situation, we were consciously going into the experience, right? But I think that most of us actually have these experiences. And I think that it has always, to me, kind of lended support to the belief that we are surrounded by spirit all the time. And that the realm of spirit, what we would identify as the realm of spirit, um, overlaps the realm of the living, like, very, very closely. Like, this is not a matter of we're here and they're here. This is a matter of, like, we're we're both right here. And on occasion, like we we kind of see this like this this thing happening where you know these realms like closer together. There's 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 more going on there, I think, or I should say less of a separation there than I think, uh, or than we think. Okay. Um, I wanted to talk about a couple of other things today on on this podcast, and again, this will probably be a little bit of a shorter episode once again, um, just because I'm I'm flying solo and uh, days are so busy right now. You know, we we're going to keep doing the podcast. Um, I, I've had concerns in, in recent weeks that the quality of the podcast and quality of the material that we've been presenting has, uh, declined mainly because we just, we have not continued to have the time to really be able to organize episodes in the way that we were when we first started. Um, I, I'm hoping that we can shuffle some things around and we can, um, get back to that. One of the things that would really help us with that is for you to, contact us and let us know what it is you would like to hear us talk about um to let us know if you have questions you know that kind of information is is helpful to us because it makes sure that we are still talking on things that are of relevance to the people who are listening um it also that that kind of 
kind of interaction or feedback from you can inspire us to to present things that are um well better than a lot of the um more impromptu spontaneous kinds of things that we we bring to you these days it would seem um yeah anyway uh, regardless thank you so much for for continuing to tune in and supporting the podcast um i wanted to talk about a couple of other things one of these things is going to sound like um the, the podcast from this moment on is going to sound as though I'm, I'm getting maybe a bit preachy and critical. Um, and I'm really, I'm not I'm really, I'm, I promise I'm not, it may sound that way. Okay. But I think that these are, are important things to talk about. Um, as always on the podcast, you know, we are here to bring you, um, accurate information. We're here to present and talk about things that are, um, based on, many, many years of education, many, many years of, of firsthand experience. And, uh, just, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so take, take this as, as you will. Um, I want to talk about this thing I see happening a lot, particularly with internet witchcraft. And I want to say, just to be really clear, I, I understand absolutely the, the, uh, ridiculousness of me, uh, complaining about internet witchcraft as I am sitting here speaking to you on a podcast that is streaming on the internet. Um, but I also want to say that internet witchcraft uh, more and more seems to be its own breed of witchcraft. I think that when we look at witchcraft as a practice, as it happens off of the internet, um, off of social media, with that witchcraft, I think looks quite a bit different than what we see presented online. Um, beyond that, I also want to say that the day-to-day personalities that we see in the witchcraft community off the internet off of social media are quite a bit different than the internet personalities that we see on the internet and social media. Um, different types of witchcraft. That's all I'm going to say. Um, anyway, but I want to talk about this thing that I'm seeing of late. Um, there are, there's this thing that happens, I think, particularly as discussion around baneful magic, the practice of baneful, baneful magic has become a bit more common. We've become a bit more open about those discussions or that that conversation, right? Um, which is a good thing, which is a good thing because baneful magic has always been a component of witchcraft and, and most occult practices, to be honest. Um, and it needs to be. It needs to be. If you are watching this this podcast at this point, if you have not yet figured out that we are very hex positive, that we are, are very pro-baneful witchcraft as it is needed, as it is needed, because that shit better be justified. You're flinging hexes and curses and it's not justified, or you're working magic against someone who has actually done you no harm. Sooner or later, spirits are going to chew your ass for that. Absolutely. Okay. And I'm not talking karma. Okay. I'm talking people. All of us have our own protectors. We have our own ancestors. We have our own spiritual allies that will have our back. And even in the moment, if something bad hits us, that does not mean that those spirits are not going to then work to get a little back for us. So you better make sure if you're flinging bad, bad magic at somebody, you're flinging a baneful working of any kind of somebody, you better make sure that shit's justified. Okay. Otherwise, you, you're going to get a lick of that trouble. Somebody's, somebody's spirit will come back on you for that. Okay. It, it happens. I've seen it happen so many times, so many times over the years. Okay. Um, but. What I want to talk about is I want to talk about this thing I'm seeing where a lot of people who are very publicly, uh, very vocal about the fact that they work baneful magic, that they work hexes and curses, this situation that comes up where something bad will happen, just a general life 
kind of situation, right? Usually to somebody who's like an enemy, someone that would be seen to be an enemy or someone who's not a friend of this practitioner, right? And this is kind of the scenario, right? Where like person doesn't like you, person doesn't like someone else, right? So something bad happens to this person they don't like, you know, like they get a flat tire, their relationship falls apart, something that is very normal, very human. Like this just happens in life day-to-day kinds of stuff, right? Um, but then ego-driven, baneful practitioner takes credit for that situation, right? Like, oh yeah, they got a flat tire because I worked a hex, you know, or yeah, I ruined their relationship. And it's like, okay, well, pull it back, Becky, because I know for a fact you didn't really do anything there. You don't have any of the energetic science of how they worked a curse or a hex on this person, right? It's just, it's ridiculous to me that the willingness or the readiness that people are able to step up and say, yeah, that horrible thing that happened to that person, yeah, I made that happen. Okay? And that's ridiculous to me for a few reasons, okay? Um, one, as I already mentioned, most of the time, nothing actually has been done, right? That's not witchcraft, that's bitchcraft. That's somebody just being a nasty person and, you know, and they're feeling a little bit of schadenfreude. They're feeling a little bit of joy in somebody else's misery, right? But it's misery that they were not a part of. Sometimes life just makes bad shit happen, right? Like sometimes you just get a flat tire and it's not the sign of a curse or a hex. It's just a flat tire, right? Um, like right now, Austin and I are both dealing with a cold, right? And I'm not sitting here saying like, oh, somebody cursed me. Somebody hexed me. It's we're we're on the verge of winter here. And the people catch colds, right? Okay, but I know for a fact, if I were in a public sitting or sitting uh, of some sort, and there was somebody there in the local community that was seemed to be like a a rival practitioner of some sort. Not that I have rivals; I don't feel that I do. Um, you know, I'm sure if there's anybody out there who dislikes me, and you know, I'm sure they maybe they consider themselves a rival or they see me as a rival. <laughs> but I'm not playing those games. I don't feel that I have rivals. Um, and I think that's to be honest, one of the reasons why I don't really deal with a lot of trouble or deal with a lot of fallout. You know, I try to be a good person. I try not to make enemies, you know, and if I do, I try to do what I can as soon as I'm able to, to kind of fix that situation. Right. And I can't control what other people do or how open they are to, to, to establishing and maintaining peace. Right. Um, but as of right now, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to say that I don't really feel like I have enemies, at least not in the witchcraft community. Um, having said that, okay. Um, if I were in a public setting and I were to say, you know, in front of or, or within earshot of somebody who found themselves or deemed themselves my rival, and I said, I'm dealing with a little bit of a cold, that that would be the response. The person would be like, oh, yeah, you're sick because I hexed you, you know, and they're taking pleasure in that. Right. And so there's just this this is just, again, just a me me riffing a bit on just this thing that I see happening. Okay? Um, and for those of you, the reason that I bring you this up in this this format is that. If you find yourself in a situation where you are dealing with a magical practitioner of some sort, right? And through conversation, you know, maybe this is something they're volunteering. Maybe this is something you've asked about, right? But through conversation, they are volunteering or throwing out that, yeah, I cursed this person and then this happened. And you can see happiness and pleasure coming, you know, up in them over this. That's someone you probably need to stay away from. Okay. And I'm not, again, I'm not anti-curse or hex. I do hexes and curses. I'm a traditional witch. We do hexes and curses, okay? As they are needed and if they are justified, okay? But 
even if a curse or a hex is deserved, I want to say there shouldn't be a sense of enjoyment or pleasure around having to do something like that, mainly because curses and hexes should always be last resorts. Okay. Uh, second, they're almost always done with the hope that this will create change that will lead to better. Right. So rather than cheering on or being happy about the bad thing that happened to this person, it really should be more, uh, or the response or the, the behavior really should be more about like, I had to do a thing. I'm not happy about having to do the thing. Do I feel bad about it? No, but I really wish that I was dealing with a person and with circumstances that did not put me in the position to have to do the thing to begin with. Um, beyond that, anybody who's going to be so vocal and so proud about their baneful working, you know, like they're volunteering that and that's all they talk about, that person has a problem. That person has a problem. Okay. Um, and if you're interacting with a practitioner and that's all they can ever really talk about, all they can ever really talk about is their hexes, their curses, their baneful workings. And they're not also sharing work that they've done around healing. Uh, which they've done maybe for around around love and peace and bringing people together, work that they've done to benefit the community, the, the world communities. If they're not sharing and talking about that information as well, you really probably want to avoid that person, okay? Um, because sooner or later, that mentality, that person, sooner or later, they're they're going to turn that, that, that negativity in them, they're going to turn that to you. It happens. Something, again, that I've seen a lot over the years. Okay, so let's stop glorifying in other people's misfortune as magical practitioners, okay? Even if what we've had to, to maybe do, even if we have actually done our hexer curse and that shit was deserved, okay? Let's let's not glorify in the, in the misfortune of others, okay? If anything, what we need to be doing is we need to be looking at the necessity of that kind of work and the consequences that, that happen as a result of a hex or a curse or a baneful working of some sort. We need to look at that rather than a gotcha and more of a now this is an opportunity for the scales to balance. This is an opportunity for us both to be able to move forward for some justice to have been done. And maybe now for a fresh start of some sort, even if that means that that fresh start still continues to lead us in different directions, right? I don't know. There's enough misery in the world, right? We, we don't need to be glorifying in, in, a, in, in people's suffering, right? Even, even people we would deem enemies, right? If you have anybody in your life that you deem an enemy, I really, I want you to consider or I want you to look at, uh, at why. You know, um, and it's not that that in saying that, that it's not in any way trying to excuse that, yes, that maybe that person has done something horrible to you. Um, it really has more to do with being able to look at why you're holding on to that, why you continue to identify that person as an enemy, because at that point you're carrying that. That person might not give a shit about you at that point. They've moved on. Who knows? Right. But you're carrying that. It's not about them. It's about you and what's best for you and how you move on and live your life in the best way. Okay. So just something to think about. Okay. Um, one of the other things I wanted to talk about, and this is uh, coming from a conversation that was had on the uh, most recent uh, Ask a Witch panel that we did here at the shop. Um, and it was a fun one. We had some really cool questions. Um, and there was like a whole line of conversation that kind of happened around this one topic um, via TikTok. Um, we, we do, when we do the Ask a Witch, we stream that on Facebook for some of the older generational folks like me who, uh, you know, who, who stick to what we know. Right. Um, and then also we stream on things like TikTok, you know, to make sure that we, um, you know, we give some of the younger generational or uh, hipper, more hip or cooler uh, people. I don't know. What's the, what's the term now? Rad. I hear people saying radican now and I'm like, rad, really? 
Like I was saying that when I was eight, Brad. Um, anyway, um, but uh, where was I going? So we streamed that. And uh, through TikTok, we had somebody who, um, I don't know if they listen to the podcast or not. I hope that they do because we talk about some cool shit here. And I, I would hope that if they did, that they would tune into this episode because we're talking about their conversation here and a conversation that was had in essence uh, that was um, brought upon by their their question. Uh, and, you know, just to kind of, you know, put it really simply, um, the the question that was brought up by this this person, this viewer on the Ask a Witch was basically what, how witches uh, handle something like the concept of human weakness, right? We talk a lot as witches about uh, issues of human weakness, um, you know, how as witches we want to work to uh, overcome, just to, to to get and to remain strong over what we perceive to be personal weaknesses, right? But that's an important component of personal growth and the personal growth that must happen as a part of traditional witchcraft, right? Um, but it was a really interesting conversation. And um, and I've got some notes here just because I wanted to really be able to refer back to the points that were brought up specifically by this person. Um, and I think the first place I want to start with is when we talk about weakness, human weakness as it is perceived or as we would maybe discuss it within the context of witchcraft and spirituality, is that we first, we need to be very clear about how we identify weakness. Okay? Um, for one thing, the measure for weakness, what many people I would identify or the, the you know, the, the judgment of this is weak, this person's a weakness or has a weakness, this is a weakness, whatever. The measure for weakness usually comes from, again, from a very human place, a very human kind of a judgment that is almost always going to be based on individual morals. The person who's actually saying like that person's weak, their moral compass and many of the communal ethics that they have allowed to kind of shape their belief and experience of life and what life should be and how people should be, right? Now, we all have these this conditioning. Every one of us has an individual moral compass. Every one of us has... Whoop, hold on. Okay, make sure I have somebody wandering out into the shop. Um, so sorry. Uh, our own individual moral compass and the ethics that have been basically programmed into us from the time that we were very, very small by basically everyone around us and the country, the culture, the, you know, whatever that we live in, right? The society that we live in, right? Um, so we have to be really careful because the first thing that we need to consider is that what we deem weakness is going to be very personal, right? And what I would look at someone and say, that's weak, right? Someone else might look at that and go, I don't see that as a weakness at all. I actually kind of see that as a, as a positive component of that being or a positive component of that situation, right? Okay, so I want to talk about that, or I want to throw that out there, okay? Um, the reason that we need to be really careful about personal morals and communal or learned kinds of ethics is that these are human constructs. These are human things. And that when we look at these kinds of things in the context of witchcraft and spirituality, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, Austin and I, okay, when we talk about these things in the context of witchcraft, occultism, and other kinds of spiritualities, we, we have to understand that human morality, uh, human ethics, these kinds of things, that these are not things that we can really bring into the work that we do as witches specifically, okay? Um, and really the main reason for that is because we are dealing with energies as witches. We are dealing with energies. We are dealing with intelligences and circumstances that defy human morality and human ethics. Okay. Um, and I, I challenge to 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 maybe kind of look at that and how that affects your personal practice, right? Because I'm telling you right now, 
the morals and the ethics that you utilize to live your life. If you are a theistic practitioner, if you work with gods, your ancestors, other kinds of spirits, whatever they may be, those other spirits and gods, particularly inhuman or non-human kinds of spirits, they they do not care about human morality or what, what we perceive as ethical. And in fact, I know a number of spirits out there through communication I've had that would actually look at a lot of the things that we deem to be moral and ethical as humans and go, that is really fucked up. That's not moral or ethical at all. And you, you do this and this is a terrible thing, right? Um, so we need to, again, we need to be really careful about that. Right. When we make judgments or assessments of weakness, we need to make sure that we are realizing that our morals and ethics behind that judgment. Yeah, that's shit that you can't bring to witchcraft. OK. In using that as kind of a stepping stone to the next point I want to want to talk about on this, OK, is that we we also need to admit that we don't have the same perception. We cannot have the same perception of someone's capabilities and experiences. Right? We cannot identify accurately as humans. I'm not even talking as witches. We cannot identify something as a weakness until we have lived that same life, until we have lived through those same experiences, until we have actually had a chance to walk in that person's shoes. Right? Um, we cannot deem something a weakness. Okay. Um, you know, I, that's it, to be honest. That that's that's it. Okay. Um Okay, having said that, I do want to, again, in talking about looking more carefully or being more honest about how we measure weakness from human to witch. And I'm not trying to say anything. I'm not trying to say that witches aren't human. We're human, right? Um, I have my moments where I wish I wasn't human because just in general, I think humanity's in a terrible place right now. And I would love to distance myself from that. But I, I cannot. I'm just, I'm complicit. Um, anyway. Uh, but I wanted to talk about some of the distinctions that we can see uh, and, and how we need to be more careful about what we identify or label as weaknesses, okay, just in general, right? Um, to start with, I want to make it very clear right now, mental and physical disabilities are not a weakness, at least as understood and by humans, for sure. This should be how we see this in human humanity as well. But in the realm of traditional witchcraft, mental and physical disabilities are not weaknesses, Hey, and in fact, if you do any kind of research into the roots of what we identify as witchcraft today, you're going to find a lot of information out there that would support that mental and physical disabilities are more often than not seen as signs of spiritual strength and connection. There are many cultures out there who make it a point, who, who revere people in their communities who are born with mental and physical disabilities, who are born different in those ways. Like these people are seen as like, this is the next shaman in the tribe. This is the next avatar of this goddess. This is the next, like that is, that is historically much more accurate, anthropologically much more accurate than this idea that, oh, this person was born with a mental disability. This person is, you know, who knows, right? Whatever that could be going on, right? Right. They're weak, right? No, no, never. No, no. Okay. So I want to make that very clear, right? Innate qualities and characteristics are not weaknesses. Okay? And what I mean by that is gender identity, sexuality, ethnicity, culture, race, uh, education, income, uh, past experiences, right? Et cetera, whatever it may be, right? These are not weaknesses. These cannot be 
be seen as weaknesses at not in the context of witchcraft and really to be honest they should not be in the, in the context of any spiritual practice okay um no intelligent no empathic human being any human that had any kind of empathy or compassion um no rational person would ever look at things like this these innate qualities or characteristics no one would ever be able to look at that anybody again who was intelligent empathetic or rational would look at any of these things and identify or define these as weaknesses okay it is not weak to be gay it is not weak to be black it is not weak to be a woman it is not weak to be poor it is not weak to be uneducated right that that means nothing particularly when we look at how those things happen or the, the the ideas the constructs around those things in our world right we we live in a world that is very unfair right now you know um and we we need to be really mindful of that when we look at maybe somebody who is you know low income or somebody who didn't have the educational opportunities that somebody else might have right that doesn't make that person weak right that means that that person just was not given this a fair shot that person was not given the same opportunities probably from birth that many other people were Right, we live in that world, and it's very sad. Okay, but but that's the reality. So we cannot see these things, and as witches, as traditional witches, we do not, we cannot see these kinds of things as weaknesses in people. Okay, how people behave, how people continue to structure and live their lives because of some of these things, those those could sometimes maybe be perceived as weaknesses. Um, you know, but again, but that would be need to be a very careful kind of a case by case kind of an assessment, right? Um, I want to talk a little bit about what we can identify as weaknesses in what I refer to as legitimate traditional witchcraft. Okay. And what that means, and there are probably going to be some people out there that are going to hear this and they're going to get, going to get pissed off. But if you are a, a newer, eclectic kind of a practitioner who has rooted a lot of your your definition of witchcraft because there's no one kind of witchcraft right and in no way am i trying to say what you may do is is not witchcraft okay but newer eclectic and uh heavily uh, uh practitioners and witches who are very heavily influenced by light worker ideologies the new age uh appropriated spiritual paths uh these kinds of things like you're you're not a trad witch you, you can't be um okay the tradition when we talk about trad witches okay that does not mean that you are part of some ancient witchcraft cult whose practices go back centuries and millennia because we know that's bullshit that doesn't exist right um it doesn't mean that you're part of a tradition or a group of, of, of witches or a coven that always does things the same way it doesn't mean that okay what that means is that you adhere to uh structural foundational things in your practice that respect the roots of what we identify as witchcraft today okay if you do that and that means that means that you are not jumping from trend to trend as it would relate to spiritual kinds of things on the internet that you're not appropriating the wrong kinds of or, or um uh of spiritual practices and beliefs that are not open to you okay that you're that you are actually doing your personal work right that you are trying to contribute and being a responsible person not only as a witch but as a human being right if you're doing that shit in your practice then congratulations you're a trad witch right but i see a lot of people out there unfortunately who miss those steps they're not doing it in in those ways and as a result it's well it's, it's just not it's not a good thing Right. And I think over time, it proves to not be a very good thing for those people as well, because those are the people I find usually who they lose steam. 
right? They dive into witchcraft, but then they very quickly fall out of it because it just, it didn't change their lives in the way that the guru told them it would. Or, you know, the thousand dollar crystal that they ordered from someone online who told them that it was going to work a miracle for them. It didn't work the miracle, right? Um, they are so focused on what's going on for them and what they need. Um, and they forget to do anything to benefit the community around them, right? But these, these are the issues. These are the problems, right? Anyway, sorry, a little bit of a tangent there. And I know I might sound kind of like I'm being judgmental and critical there, but um, as someone who is a tra traditional witch, I kind of feel like that sometimes a little bit of gatekeeping is necessary there. And you may disagree with me and that's, that's fine. We don't always have to agree, but that's, 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 that's where I'm at and where Austin is at and where pretty much every other practitioner that I'm familiar with that I know is actually doing good work. That's, that's where they're all at. Um, anyway, let's talk about some things that we can clearly identify as weaknesses. Okay. Um, not only as humans, but as witches, okay. Um, neutrality. Okay. Um, neutrality is a tricky thing because I think that we, we look at something like remaining neutral in a situation. And of course, depending on the context, right. Neutrality can sometimes be ideal or it can seem ideal, but when we look at spiritual practice again, particularly witchcraft, neutrality is not a good thing. You, you are never going to be able to effectively progress as a witch, as a traditional witch, if you are remaining in a position of neutrality around everything that you do and everything that you believe. Okay. Um, neutrality, you know, when we remain neutral, we cannot fully put ourselves or our power behind anything, right? That's the problem with trying to straddle or to walk a fence is that you have two feet going in different directions, right? Or two feet landing on different sides. And it's difficult to make progress in any one side or in any one path when you live in that way. Okay. So this is one of the reasons why I tell people who come into the shop and who interact with me, like, well, I tend to be more agnostic in my belief. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with agnosticism as a as a a perspective or as maybe like a, a philosophy, right? Maybe if you could use that that kind of word for it, right? Uh, but agnostics also usually don't see a whole lot of growth or or, or uh, results in any kind of spiritual path because they they can't really make a commitment or or, or really invest in anything and still remain agnostic, right? Um, so neutrality is a weakness in traditional witchcraft. Lying. Okay. And when I say lying, I'm talking like chronic building your castle on sand kinds of lying. Okay. I'm not talking a little white lie. We all, we all let something like that slip here and there, right? We, we've all done that. I've done that. You've done that. Right. And we live in a world, unfortunately, that sometimes puts us in situations where we need to do that. Okay. Sometimes we just don't say anything, right? But I'm gonna tell you right now, a lie through omission, still a lie. A little white lie or not. Okay. Just because you didn't say anything doesn't mean that you're in the clear, right? You're still being dishonest. Okay. So do think about that. The reason that lying is a problem is that if a lie, you get to a point where you find that a lie rolls off your tongue as easily as, as a truth, sooner or later, you're going to use your lose your grasp on life and reality. You cannot maintain control over yourself. You cannot maintain control over your or maintain control that you need. And I mean control in a good way, not a bad kind of a control. You cannot maintain control over yourself or the life that you want to live if you build half of that life on lies. Okay. Deception, lying, weakness. Greed. This is a big one. Particularly in the world that we live in now. Oh good God, is it ever? Okay. Greed is counter to traditional witchcraft. And is therefore a weakness in the views of traditional witches because it is rooted in fear. 
And as witches, we look our fears in the face. We have to. It's part of the personal work that has to happen. If you're not doing that kind of personal work as you are learning and studying witchcraft, you're going to run into trouble sooner or later because there will be a moment where you decide you need to do something, you want to learn something, you want to experience something as a witch, and that fear right there, right there to limit you, right there to get in your way. Right. So we need to look our fears in the face and we need to be honest about that. Okay. We work on fears as witches because we need to be able to overcome them. We need to be able to overcome fear. And in doing so, what that does is it allows us to dispel the false systems of belief that shape around fear. Okay. And when we're looking at greed specifically, okay, and how greed is rooted in fear, where we see this happening is we develop, I think, from positions of fear and insecurity, we develop these beliefs that tell us that we are somehow better or more deserving of having that thing, whatever it may be, than someone else, right? It's fear-based behavior. You're being greedy, right? Or whoever in that situation is being greedy because they feel they deserve more, right? They, they, they it, I, I earned, this is me, mine. I earned this. I'm better than you. I deserve this more than you, right? The reason for that, if you look behind that, you scrape through the greed, that's fear underneath. Because fear has created a belief in that person that they are somehow lacking or that they are somehow different in some way, right? And they need this more. They deserve this more, right? So it's it's fear, maybe a little bit of conceit and arrogance in there as well. Arrogance is certainly also a, a weakness in witchcraft, okay? But we understand that, that greed has to run counter to witchcraft because we know that we don't need to hoard wealth and we don't need to deny the rights of others to a fair life. Okay. Um, this is one of the reasons why I always laugh. You know, I, I interact with so many people day to day. And I, one of the things I hear a lot uh, from more conspiracy theorists kinds of mindsets is that the uber wealthy in our world are all witches. You know, they're all part of, they're all witches that are part of some sort of satanic cabals or things like that. And I hear that and I have to laugh, laugh my ass off. And I'm not trying to say that some of those people are not involved in the occult in some aspect, but none of those people can be traditional witches because if they were, they would see the futility of all of their wealth hoarding, right? Or they would actually, through the personal work that they're supposed to be doing as legitimate traditional witches, they would be doing something more with the wealth and the money that they have. They would be sharing that to make sure that they were improving their communities and the lives of people around them, okay? And we don't see that happening, right? When you've got these uber-rich people, People like Elon Musk, God, what a garbage human being he is, right? Uh, Jeff Bezos, dude that owns Amazon, another garbage human being, right? Greed. Greed holds the hearts of these men. And beneath that, it is fear. Okay? And now arrogance, of course, right? Because they're now, they've been elevated to position of elite, right? Uh, but greed is a weakness. You cannot live like that you can't operate like from that perspective or let that be a prime value or, or means of operation in your life and still be an effective traditional witch okay envy envy is very similar to greed because it also comes from fear from a fear of play of a space of fear and insecurity right but envy is tricky in a different way because it creates limiting thought processes and beliefs much like greed right um or much like we see in greed but envy creates limiting fears and thought process processes um, that really run counter to the growth, the personal growth that we need to be doing as, which is envy traps us in patterns of comparison. 
um, because usually what we envy is what we see the the people around us and the world around us like you have this I want this right and so we we find ourselves I think falling into patterns of comparison you know and this is a problem for traditional witches or at least it should be seen as a problem in traditional witchcraft because we have to all understand that our lived experiences as humans as witches that our lived experiences are just as important as anyone else's at least for us right they have to be it's our lived experience right it better be important right they're just as important as anyone else's and we should never be trying to live someone else's life right we, we can't you know even if we, we we put all of our effort into into creating cultivating buying you know having the thing that they have that still doesn't mean that we're living their life right so we, we need to be very careful of those things, right? Last, I do want to talk about fear specifically because fear is a big one, right? Um, and fear, I think, is actually one of the underlying influences, as I, we've already mentioned, as I've mentioned for a lot of these others. But fear, and, and to be really clear, I'm talking about irrational fear, okay? Fear as a primal emotion is perfectly healthy, okay? Fear keeps us alive, and it has for millennia, right? For eons, fear has allowed us as we have evolved from from more primitive kinds of life right fear has allowed us to survive right it lets us know when this is a dangerous situation i'm not going to do this right so fear as as just a, a, a normal kind of a response is, is not a bad thing we should never see that as a weakness okay irrational fear okay um the kind of fear that becomes a, a controlling or a leading influence in our lives that that is unhealthy that has been a weakness okay um and it's weird when we look at this because that kind of fear in an almost uh in a weird way irrational fear can in a sense kind of become almost like an egregore it's uh, an egregoric energy in the sense that that fear can kind of build a life of its own or it establishes a life of its own in the sense that it can take over and it consumes our life Hey, I'm not talking that it's actually a, 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 a an intelligent separate being. Okay, it's it's not. It's still you, right? But when you are living from a position of fear, you're not really living at all because that fear, that irrational fear, is going to control everything that you do, even those things that you probably need to do, the things that could be good for you, right? So fear is absolutely a weakness in the perspective or or in the views of traditional witchcraft. Okay, and and really always has been um okay oh i don't know it's just some, some interesting conversation and again something that i wanted to elaborate on a bit more um i'm checking my notes here real quick to make sure i didn't forget anything um but these were these were important pieces and i think that the person that joined us for the ask a witch who asked these things i think that in the process of trying to relate uh information and answering their question i i don't know that they came away from that experience with the most positive uh or i mean say i don't know that that was the most positive interaction for them mainly and really the reason for that was is that in the format of the ask a witch we don't have the time to sit and to really go in depth around these kinds of conversations you know it's very much a like person asks a question we got to answer it person asks a question we got to answer it person asks a question we got to answer it right so we're we're we're, we're definitely in a time crunch okay uh but I, I want to say to that person, if they do by chance listen to this episode of the podcast, and again, I don't know if they're a listener or not, um, but these are these are the weaknesses: okay? neutrality, lying, greed, envy, arrogance for sure, 
Okay. Um, and fear beneath all of that fear. Okay. These are, these are the weaknesses that we see and that we want to make sure that we work to combat, that we work to heal and overcome in traditional witchcraft. Okay. None of that other stuff, who you are as a person, who you were born as, you know, any of those other physical innate things, right, about you, none of those are weaknesses. They can't be. They can't be. Okay. All right. I think that might be it for this episode. Um, I did want to say just really quickly, the episode two weeks back before Austin did his mini last week, his mini episode last week, we were cut off on that episode. I don't know what happened. We had a technical issue and the last 10 minutes of that episode were, was, were, were chopped off. So I'm so sorry for that. Um, I know I was going to do like a mini reading on that. And I was going to talk more about the charitable effort that we've got going on right now. Um, and all of that was chopped. Um, so I apologize for that. Um, I don't have a, I don't have a mini read for you this week. If you, if you like those things, you know, follow our other social media feeds at Cat and Cauldron. Um, we, we post weekly readings and things all the time on our social media feeds. Um, yeah. Um, but I, I did want to apologize for that. I'm so sorry uh, that we, we lost that last 10 minutes. Um, yeah. Uh, we have some really cool stuff coming up this week. Tomorrow we have our basic witch study group. If you're in the Utah area, please come and join us. Um, you know, if you're, you're, I should say in the, in the Salt Lake city area, you know, you're not too far out, um, please come and join us for that. It's free to attend. Um, and it's proven to be an amazing space for so many people. People come to the basic witch study group, um, with questions on their practices, their traditions, things that they've learned in other places. And I, I've been able to see firsthand as somebody who facilitates that the study groups that we do here, um, how they have really helped people to learn and grow how they have really been able to give people some really good answers and information or at the very least to get somebody to think of something in a different way um it, it, there's nothing more satisfying as a teacher than to to be able to have an exchange with someone like that and to actually see that light bulb go on right um like to see someone get it like just the look over their face like understanding like oh, love that i love that so much um but um, anyway, so we we have that going on tomorrow evening. Um, this later this week we have our full moon right happening. The full moons are always a lot of fun. They're also a, a lot of work, and I mean work in a good way in the sense that when you come, you are working, you are doing traditional witchcraft, um, and there is usually a purpose. We uh, we always make sure we coordinate our full moons and our dark moons around a particular purpose. Um, so if you want to see something like a, a traditional witchcraft uh, right, come and join us. Um, we have some really cool stuff coming up. Our events are on the shop's website, www.cat, the letter N, catncauldron.com. Um, and uh, the upcoming classes and events are found on the homepage of the website. You can follow us on Facebook, on TikTok, on Instagram. We're everywhere. Everywhere businesses are now, right? Um, and uh, please contact us. Send us your questions. Um, you can email us at the website. You can contact us again on any of those social media pages. Um, on YouTube, put a comment on YouTube. Um, let us know. Let us know uh, what we're doing, what we can continue to do to make sure that the podcast continues to be a positive experience for you, that we are still giving you information that is of uh, value. Right. And give us your questions. If there's something going on or something you want to learn about. I know sometimes I think the reason that people get hesitant to send us questions is that we're very strongly opinionated. And we've had a few questions come in in the last few months where we've been like, what the fuck, you know, in responding. Okay? Um, but I, I assure you that that will not always be the response that you get. Um, and very often, even though that might be the way that we 
address those questions on the podcast, but we do more often than not, we do still actually follow up with those people. We do try to have a meaningful exchange um, and make sure that we give that person some answer, give that person some help with whatever that situation may be. Okay. Um, so don't be afraid to contact us. Okay. We, uh, we are very salty and we can be, uh, we're not always nice, but we're always kind. And so probably a good way to put it. Um, anyway, I'm going to let you go. Um, thank you for hanging out, spending the last few minutes with me. Um, I hope you all have, yeah, actually you're, yeah. Halloween will have hit before the next episode comes out. So, um, have a safe and happy holiday, however you may celebrate it, if you celebrate it. Um, Halloween, Shadowfest, uh, Samhain, Dia de los Muertos, whatever. Uh, all Saints, you know, all, all of those, those 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 things that are kind of clustered around the same time each year. You know, whichever one of those is is yours, whichever one of those is how you acknowledge this. Even if you don't adhere to any of that, you just like to maybe say a small prayer or do some sort of working for your ancestors and your, your beloved dead. Please do so go safely, have some fun, right? And um, and we will be back with uh, a new episode soon. Okay, thanks so much.